Hello, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, featuring today's top directors sharing behind-the-scenes stories of their latest films and insights into the craft of directing. Please take a second to subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director J.C. Chandor's new action thriller, Triple Frontier. The film tells the story of five former Special Forces operatives who reunite to rob a cocaine cartel boss in a sparsely populated multi-border zone of South America. When events take an unexpected turn and threaten to spiral out of control, their skills, their loyalties, and their morals are pushed to a breaking point in an epic battle for survival. In addition to Triple Frontier, Mr. Chander's credits include the feature films A Most Violent Year, All is Lost, and Margin Call. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in New York, Mr. Chander spoke with director Tony Gilroy about filming Triple Frontier. During their conversation, Mr. Chandor discusses how the location team was helpful in creating the chase sequences, how the film survived two shutdowns during production, and the importance of investing resources into the practical parts of action scenes while saving the VFX for places the audience would never notice. So we'll have like a private conversation here. This is going to be very <laughs> boutique. I haven't seen JC in a very long time. I know. You're just sit in on our catch-up. And I like, this is, I am so curious. I'm so, the, I think you'll be the big beneficiaries of a, of a cool conversation, maybe, if we can go quickly. And um, the way I do it, I, I get really selfish. I want to know what I want to know, and then we'll turn it over and we'll ask some questions. So, um, you all know his work, a Margin Call, and All is Lost, and Most Violent Year, and now, like, okay, right? <laughs> so, and I love this movie. I, I saw it two days ago. I really loved it. I, it's just like, such a soulful cast and like behavior and good looking and it's not trying to pick your pocket for an award. It's like a movie. Yeah. Um, that was the you had to know that this was going to be a beast going in. So like what, I mean, you had to know this was different than anything you'd ever done. Yeah. I, so why? Um, <laughs> no, and I wanted that. I think um, the whole exercise started as a, as a directing, wanting to stretch, um, stretch my directing muscles a little bit. I, I, I um, had written, come up with the idea, wrote the script, got the chance to make it, um, my first three films, and I, I think I was, I'd been waiting for that opportunity so long, so I like boom, 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 made three movies really, really quick, which was amazing. Um, but at the end of that, I realized that the writer in me was a little bit like, suffocating the, the director in that when I was thinking up those scripts and pulling them together, um, the what I wanted calcified, so I want that. And, and the directing just became an exercise of like trying to get that, whatever each scene was. And so um, I had a little bit of a bumpy road on, uh, on um, another project that I didn't end up doing, but called Deepwater Horizon, which ended up getting made. But that was off of a, an article that David Barstow. Yeah, no, I know. I remember, yeah. Yeah, and that was that um, crazy article. And so when that kind of all metaphorically and literally blew up, I, um, I realized, though, as a director, that I did want to do something that, that wasn't from me specifically, but that was an idea that as a director interested me, but as a writer, it wasn't like all from, from my head. So I, I read this and um, 
it seemed like a really interesting mashup of a good old classic action heist movie that I love um, from my youth. And, um, you know, in the third act, if it's working for you, hopefully something a, a little more intense and character driven about these guys kind of staring themselves down a bit. So, um, but yeah, from a production standpoint, directing, it was, uh, you know, a bear. It was shot in three, three different, uh, continents, three continents. No, I guess they're all the same, but a lot of it was done in Hawaii. Um, a lot of the mountain stuff was done up in, uh, the Sierra Nevadas, uh, where all that volcanic rock is. And then um, we shot for about a month in outside of Bogota, Colombia, which is where the whole opening sequence um, in this amazing neighborhood um, down there. So it was a, a really, um, I mean, it was the most rewarding kind of pure directing experience I've ever had, for sure. Had you ever been around, like, like I did one of these, I did a couple, I was on a couple of these, but I got to be as a writer on it. Had you ever, before I ever had to make it, and it really is, it's just so, as my brother John says, it's like in the world, it's advanced directing. It's like, it's, there's no safety at all. So um, had you been around a movie of that scale? Did you, had you um, seen it up close? I had gotten, I mean. No, not the prep that you did on the other one, but had yeah. you been like around the production? Not really. Um, but I'm like pretty, I'm a, I'm a little bit of an egomaniac in that I, uh, you know, I, I, I love that. I love that it was well, you're a, a quick study. Too. Yeah, I love that it was a huge undertaking, and um, and I also the, the the military element of the film was was a kind of intense. My I come from a, a, a military family. My my mom grew up in the military. My my grandfather was a lifer in the Royal Canadian Air Force. He was a pilot, and my my dad is a decorated Vietnam vet, um, combat vet, who then completely kind of cordoned that side of his life off for most of it. It's only in the last couple of years he's really started kind of getting back into that time in his life. Um, so I never would have, I always kind of wanted to do a sh one of these shoot 'em ups but I, I, as a writer also, because it was so close to the bone um, within my family, with my relationship with my father and stuff, I never, never thought about writing anything because I just, uh, so when I read this, it seemed like an amazing opportunity to kind of get to to go and look into that world. Um, but it was was not an idea I ever would have had the guts to kind of put a heist movie with these veterans because right. it was sort of a little too close. But then once I read it, it seemed like an amazing opportunity to kind of reflect on the last 18 years of, of warfare that we've been in. So it was a fun, um, you know, leadership um, undertaking that I, that I, it's kind of my favorite part of the whole directing is that just trying to get a group I of so people. understand exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> no, I know, and you, no, I know, and there's, and you look at the credits at the end and look at, oh my God, all these people that worked on my film and it's and very, they give, no, it's very they're surprised. so no. passionate and they yeah, like, they care so much. It just, it's, it's just like, it's like human beings trying so hard to do something for no reason but just because they want it to be good, you know, which I just find like it's like the most inspirational thing about about us, about humans, is that we want to improve things because it's like 
a core element. It's when we're I at so our best. I so agree. I, I, I have such a feeling for what you're saying. And you move, on these movies, you move through so many villages. You know, you move through the, the prep village. And it's like little, yeah. it's like a journey where you go from town to town to town all the way through. And on this, you had to, you couldn't really carry a team. I looked, you don't have your DP. You have a DP you've never worked with before. Yeah. You have a production designer you've never worked with before. You have, uh, I mean, you have Oscar Isaac to hang on to. He's yes, a go-to. that was I my, mean, okay, that's a go-to. <laughs> that was but, my security blanket. But you have all, you have producers you've never worked with before, and the producers have worked with some of the other people before, so you have that going on. Yeah. You have this very complicated movie. Um, well, it did get shut down twice, so <laughs> it wasn't all. No, it wasn't I knew all that. A bed of, oh, I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> but it wasn't all a bed of roses. But you know, when you have these jigsaw puzzles, there's so many places. Right, you got to go back. How did you get? To, you got shut down twice. <laughs> yeah, one time, very sadly, um, Brad Gray died. Um, basically, um, it was a Paramount movie originally, and um, uh, we were in prep, um, pretty far in, and and. Brad got fired and then died right after that. And um, and so they got rid of uh, Vice, this movie, The Irishman, a bunch of movies um, that luckily a lot of them have found homes other places. And so it was amazing. I, um, Scott Stuber had just come into Netflix and um, he came on board. Um, and then... Uh, and so from that point, it was like a new energy behind, the, you know... Uh, behind it and I and I also owed my career to like not giving up um I and early on you could because you had the other movie crap out you couldn't have two in a row well exactly you know that you like you're and and, and yeah. in, in a weird way also with margin call I had I had, in early in my career I had like if something had gone wrong with a project I'd like go write something else and then try that for a year and I was bouncing all over and I realized like that is not the way you're going to get anything done you know and so I wrote margin call and then I was like I am not doing anything else and you know I'm going to walk out of this you know town and and, and unless this happens and so um, once I kind of got my teeth into this thing I realized like let's let's get to the finish line wow man so <laughs> how much prep you prepped it three different times? Or? That was the worst. All joking aside, I mean, and directors, everyone knows this, but the horrible shutdown you know, with, with your crews. So we were in Hawaii um, prepping the movie, uh, and you know, it was the summer. People had brought their families. And that's when you had to shut and down? We sh and, and the movie fully shut down and you everyone gets sent home i mean it was just did you bring those horrific. people back oh, so many of them came back roman vasanov the dp who's an amazingly talented young russian guy um who stuck with me through the whole thing he he really wanted to make well this is a huge me. showcase for him man. he's, he's, he's be a, very happy you know he's he's um he's a hyper talented guy and he'd been working with david error on a bunch of shoot 'em ups but he's um this brilliant russian guy came up in the uh, through the dying days of the Soviet arts right. education program. So he's this brilliantly educated visualist. Um, and so he wanted to kind of get back into character-driven stuff because David's movies had really gone into the, the kind of shoot-em-up mode. And I needed someone who knew how to shoot shoot-em-ups, you know, right. and, and, and give me some protection. And so um, Roman and I kind of felt like a, a perfect marriage at the time, what we were both looking for, and he stuck with me. But yeah, his kids were in school in Hawaii. I mean, it, it, that's the, I mean, everyone knows that. You feel such a responsibility for these, 
for your crew that that are giving themselves and their families are giving the, their parents, you know, to you to work on your movie, and then. Um, and this was like set up as Shangri-La. We all had our families in Hawaii for oh the God. summer. It was going to be, you know, perfect. And then whole thing. Um, so amazingly, so much of the Hawaiian crew stuck us stuck with us, and the entire South American crew, Dinamo, the company down there in Colombia, who did that whole section, um, that town where the opening right. scene is. Um, I think they started to think we were. To totally insane that we weren't ever going to actually do it. So how many days when you finally shot? How many days were you looking at? I 75? Right? Thank you. <laughs> he, that's someone who knows the answer. Wow. Um, uh, 75 shooting days. Um, Which so, is like three times what you had on every other movie. <laughs> yeah, like, pretty you much. You three other movies. Three. Um, although All Is Lost, weirdly, was actually a long shoot for what it was because right. um, that just was very slow going with all that technical stuff. It's just stuff. that one unknown guy. Though. But yeah, it was, um, but nothing like this. And, 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 and then having three distinct crews was like That's nothing what I, wanted, I had. I wanted, yeah, so. so had you ever worked with a second unit before? Um, no, I hadn't. Um, and and we, we didn't have a ton of, uh, Guy Norris, the stunt, um, you know, coordinator and designer um, who is an amazing Australian guy who does the Mad Max movies. So that's where a little bit of that and that final chase is, is sort of a tribute to, to him. Um, so yeah, it was like, what a learning. I mean, I just felt so humbled in this era where there are so few of, you know, I feel like these movies we're making are either over $200 million and they're so big that there's, you know, it's a whole different kind of Magilla. Or, you know, they're under $15 million yeah. and it's a more intimate thing. And so the movies that I always loved growing up um, were the ones in the middle, you know, that, that, that were big entertainment and, and meant to be for a broad audience, but also were about us, you know, and today and, and sort of had something to say. And, and, uh, and you know this, we've had this conversation before, but there's the opportunities for those types of storytelling in the two-hour time slot, you know, the, the on the TV side, things have obviously it's exploded. Not, it's not the environment we thought we were going to be in as we prepared for our lives. No, it's not. No, it's a fun, no. uh, anyway, fun new, a fun yeah. new era here. So, uh, last thing before I turn it over to, the, uh, to questions, um, the last, the, the other secret ingredient in this movie, I mean, the cast is just it's just so soulful. It's so dead on. It's so. Uh, my wife, we, I had got it at home the other night. My wife wasn't going to watch because I don't really want to see that thing. I, I don't really, I'm not in the mood for a guy movie. I'm not really into it. I want to see Oscar. I just want to see what Oscar looks like. She has such a <laughs> mad crush on Oscar. So she starts and then it's like, oh my God. And she's completely sucked in. Now I know, I know from just apocryphally all the various casting ideas yeah. that were thrown on this movie over the years. Yeah. The fact that you ended up with this. With a, with a cast that probably doesn't have the greatest foreign sales number of all time, but right. turns out to be just fucking perfect. I mean, yeah, and was, how, I mean, did, did they function as an organism or did you have to deal with everybody individually? Or did no, they, 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 a lot of them knew each other. So the idea of the cast was always that it was like a reunion for all the strengths and weaknesses that a reunion is. You know, right. you, you, these guys are five years kind of past their prime. So, um, the idea was that they didn't have to be 
it's not a they're no longer a unit you know it's like uh, the, the sports analogy is they're sort of five years retired and then you they're have getting, to send them out for training no i mean they did a lot of gun training a couple of them did some real gun training because they wanted to make sure they weren't going to look like idiots but it wasn't a thing where it's like let's go march for you know a month and 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 no it was in a cool way they had all worked with each other in different ways in the cross relationships so it ended up being perfect we showed up on on day you know they, they did do some some gun training for for a couple days with live ammunition which is always a very scary endeavor because you're standing there <laughs> with a that in Hawaii, no no it was uh it was, no it wasn't it was in california of all oh. places but you go to a gun range out in the middle of the desert and you're standing there next to the guy with yeah. a live live ammunition and, and shooting. So that kind of woke everybody up technically to what they were going to be doing. But um, but the relationships were, um, I wanted there to be that sort of awkward yeah. energy and and Oscar's casting was a, it was a huge plus. That was... Um, at the last minute, uh, you know, one of the benefits of this, you know, the, the downside is the poor crews and, and and that relationship. But the upside was that Oscar got to be in the film. Right, you don't have to convince because, me about Oscar uh, because no. I know you, he uh, he uh, early adopter. <laughs> yeah, I know you were, um, but he, you know, he. I had never you have gotten no to, bad film on him. I know it. You have no <laughs> bad taste well, he's, on him. Well, he's it's such a fun combination of a classically trained Juilliard actor and a sort of lead singer of a punk band, which he, he is both of those, guy. you know, yeah. And he's both of those things. Yeah. Um, so, and I had never worked with an actor again. I, I had not had a, a repeat situation in my films. So also just to have a friend there, yeah. you know, that, that you could trust and that was there to support you also with all the trials and tribulations of the film, I knew that he would, be there i know that sounds crazy that. but you know yeah, we, some, yeah. yeah of course we didn't we took a six-month break at the end of the movie from each other because right. <laughs> it was a uh a trying long shoot but um yeah you get but, to see everything when you uh, do this yeah, exactly anybody have a question right there yeah yeah um ben uh was not always the character that um, that that uh, met his met his end. Um, I think he actually suggested it in our in our first meeting, um, which I loved. Uh, it sort of breaks the the number one rule of an action movie, which is you can't kill the biggest movie star in the movie, um, which he loved about it, and and I did too. Um, it also that character sadly sort of always meaning nothing else really changed about the character. That's not true that nothing, but structurally as a writing exercise, not many other elements of his character changed except the fact that he died. Um, so, uh, which I loved because it, it, it sort of didn't react to the fact that now he was going to be the guy who died. It kept him as the same kind of linchpin of the whole thing. So, um, so I, and I thought he was at an amazing place for his career. He was sort of, I mean, now it's public knowledge, but I think he was emotionally just like over the whole Batman undertaking and, um, had had, you know, health challenges that he was battling, you know, bravely. And so he was 
at this amazing place um, when we both met each other for the first time where I think he was really excited to just play like a, a real person and, and not, um, not be the one directing. So it was, he had sort of either been directing himself or was in a bat suit. And, and so I think he was relieved to just get to be an, an actor. Um, there were a bunch of things that were really fun. That whole opening title kind of enterprise as they come into that that valley. Um, that sequence was almost sort of entirely designed around that location and that song that's playing. You know, it's a Metallica song um, uh, based on the Hemingway uh, uh, novel. Um, and it talks about going up a hill and all these things. So I, I kind of took elements from the song. And then when I found that neighborhood, um, I, I just fell in love with that neighborhood. It was, it was, it's probably the most rewarding shooting experience as a director I've ever had was getting to know the people. Um, that's a, a, an immigrant neighborhood outside of, of Bogota, Colombia. And they literally have built that neighborhood with their hands um, you know, out of the last five or ten years, it actually the neighborhood changed from the two times that we started scouting that. I think almost two year, two and a half years before we shot in it, and it was amazing. The neighborhood just kind of grew in that time. So, um, and then the whole chase at the end uh, was something that I had learned from the chase sequence on a most violent year about letting the the locations department kind of. Um, help you um, write your, and I mean, you know this from writing those huge chases and action sequences and all those movies. I don't know how to even write one if you don't go to the location. It's all about the limitations right. of what's there that make it cool. Yeah, and that's so that's what we kind of did there where the idea was I knew I wanted to create this this long, insane kind of undertaking where they were trying to just get out of the country and not cause any more damage basically and and so um which of course is an exact contrast to what your stunt guy wants to do which is create as much damage as possible with the with the most excitement and so it was um a a a, a super fun kind of mashup between your stunt department the camera department yourself um the story you're trying to tell and then these locations um and I'd learned from from All Is Lost, weirdly, just about not being afraid. Uh, you know, David Fincher does it so well too, which I've talked to him about it. But it's you use your visual effects where you, as the audience, would never think to look for them, and then you put your resources into the places where you would normally use visual effects. And so you sort of invest in in locations and places and that are going to allow you to have the actors interacting with the real things. And then you kind of fake the world that you're trying to fit it into and you put your, your visual effects resources there, which is what we did with All Is Lost. Everything in the foreground that he touches were real boats, which was a small budget movie, but we spent all of our money kind of uh, you know practically trying to create everything that he touched the water the wind um the props everything that was where we put all our resources and then the visual effects sort of tied it into the world and so um you know creating that visual um 
I think there's over 800 visual effects shots in this movie, but hopefully you didn't know any of them. <laughs> uh, they're all they're all augment. I, no, it's 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 yeah, uh, it's that's tweaking. a that it's tweaking. the I can't. That's just such a great lesson. That is. What did you watch? What films did you watch? I don't do that. Um, you didn't it's do a that. I, it's a, I never have. I think it's a starting as a writer. I'm always scared that I'm going to be like knocking people off if I watch too many things. And so, and I love directors. So many directors that I love. The first thing they tell you to do is, you know, before you go shoot a movie, if you're going to go shoot All Is Lost, watch every survival movie ever made. And every then, John Sturgis movie. Go literally, watch them all. it's like. Um, but I, much to my um, detriment, sometimes, and then I think strengths I other times. I wouldn't change my plan if I were you. It's working out. <laughs> Who has another but, question? Yeah, I did. You, you didn't watch them. That's sadly the reality. Um, the leadership, especially in Latin America, um, it is sort of that swaggering. I mean, it's male, you know, it's obviously a testosterone-driven culture in the film. Um, so he's not supposed that the, 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 the sort of technical um, reason that's in there is because that was not supposed to go down like that. It was a setup, basically. And so there was never supposed to be a gunshot fired. Um, so it's, it's overconfidence, it's mistakes. Um, the whole movie kind of subtextually for me was kind of a callback to the last like 18 years of, of, of warfare that these type of individuals have, have been in. And so there's all these little hallmarks that I tried or signposts that I tried to put throughout the film that sort of call back to the disaster in the Middle East, this sort of undertaking that we've been involved with um, and you know, financing and sending our best and brightest um, into these war zones for over and over and over again here. Um, so a lot of the mistakes that they make in the movie for me, and, and this is most viewers will never get this, but are all sort of callbacks to mistakes and hubris that we've kind of made in the last 18 years of warfare in the Middle East. And, and, and there's signposts throughout the film, the, the paying off for the collateral damage, you know, to use Mr. Rumsfeld's inelegant term, um, when they kill, you know, those, um, those villagers, that, that, so that whole payoff scene was, came from, interviews that that I had done where I asked the real people that that do this you know what's the what was the hardest thing the or the I, it wasn't even the hardest it was like what was the worst thing that you ever had to deal with um when you you know were in these situations and most of them in one way or another always came back to these payoffs where they would be charged with flying in delivering money to someone that they could almost tell before the exchange was over was going to lead that money was going to come back to buy guns to be shooting back at them you know it was like a miss some screw up from someone further up the chain of command and and so that's just one example of of sort of moments where i i tried to put things in the film where um you know that 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 whole pitch that he gives them for me was always like a throwback to, well, to Cheney and Rumsfeld pitch. We're, you know, shock and awe. We're, we're going to go in there. We're going to chop the bad guy's head off. Saddam will be gone. You know, they'll be waving American flags at us. We're going to set up our, you know, our oil companies there. We're going to make a ton of money and we'll be out of there in a month. Like that was literally the pitch that we all kind of went along with. And here we are 18 years later. 
Um, so the movie for me, which is what I loved about it, that was in there when I first read Bowles original draft was that there was this kind of, I don't want to use the word, but it's like, there's this fun heist movies, part of the, of the movie, a classic kind of adventure tale. Um, but then on another level, it was about these guys who have been out there kind of doing our dirty work for us, kind of reflecting on that. All right, I want to take one. Now I want to take one last question. So go ahead. Well, that's why the helicopter can't fly. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a movie, um, and and uh, but it um, but it also is um, you know, twelve thousand, thirteen thousand feet. They sort of say Andes, but it's it's um, when you're near the ocean, there. There, it's not the like twenty five thousand, you know, um, you know twenty thousand feet kind of uh, heights. So it was, um, it was always intended to kind of take that parable element there so you're not getting, you know, because time and, uh, I mean, it's five-day journey, but um, which there's a line in the movie they say we're five days late. Um, so I've, if you go back and watch the movie, I've, I've covered my, my butt on, on most of the things you're worried about and, and, and not to put too fine a point on it, but also the, um, the military um, advisors on the film were these amazing people that we brought in, um, which are relationships that I'll cherish um, for, the, for the rest of my life, frankly. Um, but uh, but it's, this is nothing compared to what some of the undertakings um, that, you know, in a weird way, what the movie's also reflecting on is, is like traditional warfare is, is over, um, where two armies kind of face off on each other. Like, this is, this is where we're at now. Either that or you're dropping anonymous bombs on people. So it's either this hyper-intimate, you know, ugly, ugly door-to-door -door kind of situation, or it's this insanely anonymous, you know, kind of drone warfare. And there's the, the sort of old-fashioned, you know, kind of going at each other thing is is gone. And so, you know, the 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 fact that you never really know where you are was also something that I um, kind of took from some interviews where people would be telling me about incidents where they would have a, a mission where they would know you're gonna come in, you know, to the, the the door of this building, there's gonna be a coffee maker. Underneath the coffee maker, there's gonna be a key that will get you into this door. You go through that into the backyard, there's gonna be a palm tree, there's a family living right there, they're innocent, you gotta go by them around the corner. So they would know every detail of what they had to do, but they wouldn't know what country they were in, you know, for political reasons and reasons we don't wanna know about. Um, that they would sort of not even know where they were. They would know generally what type of a culture they were in, but they wouldn't know what city or province or anything. They were sort of on purpose being left in the dark. And so that was another one of those callbacks in the movie here was the, the fact that I think Garrett's, Garrett Hedlund's character, I always used to joke with him, um, as the youngest guy in the thing, like, I don't, I'm not even sure he knew what country he was in. You know, he was, he was there because he followed these men that he trusted, you know, and, and that was the way it always had been was they tell you what you're going to do and where you're going to be and you go there and you do it. So it was always intended to kind of be in this dream, this nightmare kind of dream Just state. Follow the call sheet. It's yeah. on the call sheet. Okay, last question. Anybody have a question? 
Yeah, but that's a little trickery. I mean, you shouldn't be rooting for them. <laughs> no, but that's what movies do. I mean, that's what we do. No, I'm, I'm just saying that's the fun part of it for me was that we kind of get you to be rooting for them when – and and by the end of the movie, they know it themselves. They were sort of like that, you know, shouldn't we, we shouldn't – you shouldn't you have shouldn't been rooting, be rooting for, for us. us. That's a good feeling. I have the last question is, yeah. what – did your father see the movie? He did. Um, I haven't gotten to talk to him about it that much, but my sister, um, he got to see it. Uh, and I flew them to Hawaii, which was really cool. That they, they, they came out and visited, which I think he really enjoyed. Um, but uh, she said that he was really kind of, um, emo you know, it, the, I think he saw... It, it's one of those things, as a father myself, I've got um, now a... 13-year-old daughter, if you can believe. Um, but uh, as I'm getting a little later in my, in my parenting, um, I realized I can't believe that my dad was, um, I think he had my sister six months after he got back from a tour of, of duty and was, you know, going from one extreme to the other. And he, he didn't, he was not a lifer. He, he left the service and, and, and went into civilian life. Um, so these guys, you know, this, these new soldier, the, the new sort of scenario of, of, of professional warfare, professional warfare is that they just keep going back and, um, until you've sort of used them up. Uh, and so it's, um, he did see it. And I think, uh, I'll, I'll follow up. I've been on a bit of a whirlwind the last week since he saw it, but, um, I he my sister said it was kind of intense for him in a, in a in a good way and I think he saw um a lot of those things he's learning things about the way he's lived his life realizing that that experience I mean once you it's a terrible thing to say but once you've killed people um that does change you I mean it's the opening lines in the movie and I think in a weird way um I know for my father he he thought he, um, I mean, he was in very intense sort of combat situation. So I think he thought he could compartmentalize that out of his life. And, and it's only now um, towards the end of his life that he's, I think, now getting back in and realizing what an effect though that, that experience had on everything he did from that point forward. And, um, and you know, I, I think he thought he had it kind of, kind of, sent away and and now I, I know from other conversations I've had with them is realizing that you, you can't do that and, and there is a lot of that in there with these guys hopefully you know even though it's not always spoken well I mean thank you great filmmaker <laughs> great film thank you for coming Chase. thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A if you'd like to hear more you can find past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're enjoying our podcast, please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes. We'd love to hear your feedback, and you can help fellow cinephiles find the show. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally. 